Raymond on 2FM with Green Fern. Fuel your day with Green Fern's new high protein cooked chicken breast fillet. 100% natural and packed with flavour. Thanks to you, Jenny Green. It's Thursday, the 16th of December, and this is Game On. Coming up today, still no update on Stephen Kenny's future as Irish manager, but at least we know what teams will face in the Nations League as Ukraine, Scotland, and Armenia await. This will be the third edition of the competition, which has proven to be a resounding success by giving teams from across our continent the chance to play meaningful matches against opponents of similar ability. Keith Tracy is with us to discuss that and will be live to Anfield ahead of Liverpool versus Newcastle. Meanwhile, in rugby, it's another big weekend of Champions Cup. Well, we hope it is anyway. Bernier Jackman will preview the action and he might have some details as well on the Leinster-Montpellier game. Always going away to France is, is a challenge, but it's it's great as well. You know, you saw Ulster at the weekend away in Claremont and, you know, brilliant performance for them. And you see, like, the atmosphere at the games and the crowd and all the rest. So it's always a bit special being away in France. And I think everyone in the group is looking forward to getting going now. In athletics, Kira McGean will reflect on her year and in swimming. We have Irish success on the world stage to bring you very, very shortly. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. GameOn on 2FM. Now, welcome along. I am delighted to be joined in studio by Keith Tracy and Bernard Jackman. We have plenty to get through, but we will be starting and probably for a lot of the show, be talking about COVID. Bernard, all week we have been toing and froing about the Leinster and Montpellier game. We know that there is COVID in the Leinster camp. We don't know how much. And the um, presumption was that they were going to go to, to France and play the game. But it looks like things might not be heading that way after all. Yeah, they're definitely not going. The game is being cancelled. Um, the EPCR uh, created a match risk assessment committee made up of medical doctors from their advisory group. And at the last minute, they decided that Leinster shouldn't travel and that Leinster will be awarded zero points and Montpellier will be awarded five match points. So it's a 28 nil win to Montpellier. So I'm sure Leinster won't be happy about this. Leinster had a team ready to go. Um, they had a private flight uh, chartered um, but in, in fairness there has been a, an outbreak of COVID in the squad now Leinster still even with the COVID that they had still had a very strong side given they have you know a very deep squad but Montpellier weren't happy with playing that match even though they had a little bit of COVID themselves and yeah DPCR as I said medical committee have looked at us and they've cancelled the game and as I said Leinster now finished with zero points Leinster will still qualify for the, out of the group because they're in a very weak group they play Montpellier in the RDS in the new year they'll go to bat but probably means they'll miss out on a home a home quarter final which you know depending on who they draw could be um could be a big blow so just in terms then of the whole competition we know that the um Heineken Cup organizers are going to meet representative of France's top 14 league clubs this evening to discuss the implications for the competition because their France's government have brought in new rules concerning travel to and from Britain so this is the second round of the Champions Cup it features six pool ties between French clubs and English Scottish or Welsh opponent and then there's more as well for the Challenge Cup so it is very very complex and if they do decide to call off these games that are set for France 
will this have implications for the decision made about Leinster's game or you know if they do give them a share of the points or is have Leinster now lost the points it looks like Leinster have lost the points but it, uh, this is a little bit different in that Leinster haven't been allowed travel by the PCR because of COVID in Leinster there's a meeting tonight with the with the French teams and I think the French government around um new en- entry regulations for UK based teams that if they don't get in and out before Saturday night um, they have to quarantine and likewise any French teams going to the UK would have to quarantine so they're looking for special dispensation so this is a different scenario if it's taken out of the club's hands and if you don't have a COVID outbreak but uh um, the Department of, of Travel or, or Foreign Affairs says, look, at this match can't go ahead because we don't want a plane load of of professional rugby players coming into the country. Then I think EPCR are going to have to look at it a little bit differently. But um, Leinster probably, by nature of being the first game on, on a Friday evening, um, maybe we were forced into a decision. But, but tonight it seems, I think the French clubs don't want those English teams coming in or don't want to go to England this weekend or the UK this weekend. So... There could be a a big um, uh, a big number of games cancelled, and we, we'll all remember, you know, EPCR have been adamant. There's going to be no postponement. There's no room in the calendar to re reschedule. That's why the Munster Wasps, etc. All the talk for the last two weeks has been these games need to go ahead, or you take a twenty eight eight nil um, loss. So it's it's going to be an absolute nightmare at the end if we can get this competition finished because some teams are going to lose out not on the field but off the field It sounds like they could be getting on to Mercedes lawyers to see if they can find (laughs) loopholes somewhere because it is a bit of a blow um, for Leinster to have to concede the game 28-0 and five match points especially when if it goes go the way you predicted to and they do end up losing out in a home quarter final yeah look they, they still could make it but I, I don't think 15 points um, and that's on the base that they go to bats and, and, and get that um, will be enough uh, it's a new it's a new format this, for the last two seasons so um, it's harder to say with, a, with real um, uh, certainty but I would I would imagine it won't, it won't be enough. What's interesting as well, so the EPCR have, and they have released a statement and they have referenced that match risk assessment committee that you talked about there, Bernard, made up of medical doctors and the EPCR's medical advisory group and independent medical special, specialists with experience in virology. And they have advised them on their concerns about COVID-19 and the problems that comes with that and the fact that they don't want Leinster to travel with COVID in the squad. This is going nowhere. So they have now done this and set the precedence. And we know that from the last few days, especially in what's happening in the Premier League too, that this is something that is going to be with us, especially over this busy time for European rugby. Yeah, no, and it's it's kind of back where we were a year ago. Like, don't forget, Toulon came to Dublin um, and then weren't allowed to play against Leinster and Leinster got a 28-0 win. Toulon went to Scarlets, didn't play. Scarlets got a 28-0 win. So, um, and we had we've probably become a little bit relaxed or used to games going ahead um, and you know crowds are back etc but week in week out there's been a lot more games played and cancelled and unfortunately it just seems as if this spike um, has put everything into into disarray and from the EPCR's point of view they need to make a call because they are adamant there's no opportunity to fill these games later on. Um, it's different for the URC. They can play during the Six Nations, but during the Six Nations, the top 14 is on, the Premiership is on in, in England. So 
yeah, it's an absolute mess. And and whether this competition gets gets fi- or gets finished with any kind of credible winner um, is very much up for debate at the moment. Yeah, there is a lot going to happen between now and the end of that tournament and a lot more discussions like this. I'd imagine, and even in the next um, 50 minutes or so while we're on air, I'd imagine there's going to be a statement from Leinster as well, probably one from Montpellier and um, God only knows who else, but we're going to leave it for a little while. We'll discuss it um, later on again in the show when we are previewing the rest of the action that will be set to go ahead in the Champions Cup. But now we're going to turn our attention to swimming because today was a great day for Irish swimming. Ellen Walsh won silver medal in the 400 metre individual medley at the World Short Course Championships in Abu Dhabi, smashing the Irish record twice along the way. John Kenny is with us to give us all the details. John, an absolutely brilliant day for Irish swimming and for Ellen Walsh. Absolutely. This time of the year, uh, you mentioned the World Short Course Championships. It's 25 metre pool. Um, So it's the last uh, meet really of of the season. The Irish Championships are actually on uh, at the same time. So there's 11 Irish swimmers gone to Abu Dhabi uh, Ellen Walsh 20 years of age qualified very late for the Olympic Games uh, the second of the trials I was talking about perhaps she wouldn't go because she didn't make the time in the first uh, of those trials she's since gone to Tennessee to join uh, along with uh, Mona McSharry and uh, it seems that the racecraft that they have there is paying dividends she broke the Irish in a record this morning, 430.78. That's six seconds off the record set by Michelle Smith back in 1994. The oldest Irish senior record in swimming still on the books after 27 years. And for good measure, in the final, she swam a time of 426.52 seconds to take the silver. And this is how she did it. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um... And they'll bring it home now. It looks like it's going to be a gold medal going away to Canada. Tessa Sedlucha, Walsh giving it everything. Margalis is finishing hard, but Canada take the gold medal here. Sedlucha it is. Walsh the silver, Margalis the bronze in the 400 individual medley. We see there Ellen Walsh, the silver medalist. She really chased her and pushed her on that freestyle leg. There wasn't anything separating all eight swimmers. Walsh threw everything at Sedlucha, especially on those turns. The margin was about half a body length in the end. She's only the second Irish swimmer, Marie, to take a medal at the World Short Course Championships. Shane Ryan won a bronze in the 50 metres backstroke in China in 2018. So this is a considerable success for uh, one so young, just 20 years of age. And John, is her improvement, a lot of it down to going to, to college in Tennessee, going into that high performance environment and just being exposed to that level of, um, I guess, elite training and practice and everything that goes with it. Well, Mona McSherry, I talked to her a couple of weeks ago. She's also in Tennessee, an Olympic finalist. She's through to the final tomorrow of the women's 50 breaststroke incidentally, new Irish record for her of 29.65. She, along with Ellen, have been giving a lot of credit to Tennessee University in the fact that they, they tend to race each other a lot uh, rather than just ploughing up, up and down the pool in terms of training and that seems to have brought her on in leaps and bounds so it's an amazing record today It's she came into this uh, meet remember in the 400 IM uh, individual medley so it's all four strokes involved in 20th place in the world wins her heat qualifies in fourth place and lo and behold gets a silver medal this is what she had to say afterwards yeah it's pretty nice um, to get the medal yeah, I didn't really know. I hasn't really hit in yet. You spoke immediately afterwards about how much this means to everyone back home. 
can you explain why it means so much to you to it's give just it to nice them? i've built a lot of relationships with people in sport um and yeah to stand on the podium today for everything i've done like behind the scenes it's just really nice and tell me you said that before uh tesso is your friend so what was it like up there on the podium with her it's really nice to see her uh, on the podium t- to see us on the podium together you seem to have made a lot of a lot of progress since going to university of tennessee um tell us like how much you think that's affected you um we've been able to race a lot more than i did when i was at home and it's definitely benefited me in terms of nerves and like just race strategies like it's just like go get up and race there is no like oh this that the other it's just go 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 and it's just continuous races after races and yeah it's just i really enjoy it over there and it's where does this rank in your list of achievements i don't really know i didn't think i came in 20th like uh, i didn't think i'd end up on the podium so yeah, I'm delighted. <laughs> well, she alludes to it there, Marie, just about uh, the racing strategies in Tennessee University. It seems to be helping her uh, come on leaps and bounds along with Mona McSherry as well. Uh, it was a great day for her. Congratulations to Brian Sweeney as well from Temple Oak College who uh, has brought her along in the last couple of years. She's gone to Tennessee University along with uh, Mona McSherry. And lo and behold, Mona's in the final tomorrow. Uh, Walsh will swim the 200 butterfly tomorrow, which is her main event. Who knows what she's going to do on that, such as the condition that she's in at the moment. But a silver medal in the 400 I am today nothing to be sneezed at yeah it's great John and she actually give, teaches my kids swimming or she used to beforehand right. so I've been watching her for the last few years so to just picture her in the pool with all the kids and then to see her um, at that level it's phenomenal because it feels like only a few months ago and it probably was really that she was in the pool giving all those kids in Temple Oak swimming lessons yeah I know it's, it's great and you can hear she's not uh, polished in the way she's being mm-hmm. interviewed there as well so you're getting a lot out of her in terms of oh I don't know what this is going to be like uh, well I just got in and I swam on the water and up and down so a nice precocious air about her as well so I think she could be a real star for the future Absolutely well she definitely um, she definitely took no messing from any of the kids anyway so she'll be well <laughs> equipped to, to deal with whatever comes her way John Kenny thank you You're welcome. as always and hopefully we'll be chatting to you about another gold medal tomorrow Two, Dinners made easy with Green Farm's high protein cooked chicken breast fillets range. Available in selected stores nationwide. Now, welcome back. So, for anyone just joining us, some breaking news Leinster's Heineken Champions Cup match against Montpellier has been called off with the French side awarded a 28 0 win. We'll be discussing that in more detail a little bit later on with Bernard Jackman. Now, we are going to turn our attention to football. Keith Tracy is with me here in studio, and we are going to talk about the Nations League because the draw was made today, and Ireland now know who they are going to be playing in those games in June and September. So the draw that was made at about five o'clock in Switzerland has pitted Ireland against the Ukraine, Scotland and Armenia. So we are in Group 1 of League B. Stephen Kenny has said that he wants his group to win or his side to win the group. And looking at the teams, Keith, it is possible. It is possible, but listen, Ukraine are a very, very good team. It's going to be very hard to go over there and get something off of them. And I'm a huge admirer of the Scottish as well. I think that uh, they've got some really good talent in there when you think of McGinn, McTominay, Andy Robertson, the two boys up front. But I just feel we're in a good place at the minute. But 
I feel like I know these games don't come around till June and then September so there's still six months to go there's, it's, there's a lot of ifs and buts and maybes because we're six months away from the games but I feel Armenia will be the whipping boys or should be the whipping boys and it'll obviously come down to the head-to-heads with Scotland and Ukraine Ukraine are very strong Scotland it's going to give us a really really good task but it could have been worse we could have got Norway in that group and we all know Holland up front is looks irresistible at the minute so as a fan probably would have liked to see him live but yeah, <laughs> as an sure. Irish fan happy he's not coming to Dublin so listen I think we've every chance if we keep everybody fit and everybody keeps playing in their in the respective teams I think we've every chance but it's going to be difficult yeah, Will, and I know it's, it's a new way, a new format, a new competition, but in 10 games across two campaigns, Ireland haven't won a single game. Yeah, I know. Listen, I, I was asked about Stephen Kenny and the contract situation, and I'm actually I'm on the fence of whether he should get a new contract. And I know a lot of people are saying he should, and there's others that are saying he shouldn't. Results-wise, it hasn't been good enough, but you have to look a little bit deeper than just re- results-wise because it's a very young team. A lot of the older heads went over the, the over the peak of the mountain at the same time, so he's putting a lot of younger players in there. And there's some players in the team. Look, when you look at Ogbeni, McGrath, Adam Moida, Seamus Coleman even looks to have come back to his best for Ireland. Jason Knight and Gavin Bazunu. These are lads that are really, really exciting me. And like I say, another six months down the line, these lads might have one or two more uh, caps under their, under their belts with the friendly. So we're moving in the right direction. Are we going to move quick enough to catch the likes of the Scottish and the and Ukrainians? I'm not so sure. But look, we, we, we're known for going in and putting in, you know, fine performances. If we can go and do that and show what we're all about, we've every chance. But like I say, we're, uh, we're probably the third best team in the group. But I wouldn't mind it, you know, just fighting it out for second place. I think forced. I know Stephen Kenny has said he, he wants to win the group. Mm-hmm. I think Ukraine win will it win will the group, and I think it's going to be a straight shoot out for us and uh, us in Scotland for second. Yeah, and look, they're decent games as well. People are going to be mm-hmm. interested in the in the opposition of well, they'll be interested in Scotland and Ukraine, maybe not Armenia so much. So the winners of Group uh, B one will earn promotion to League A for the next edition of the Nations League. The team that finishes bottom will go into a relegation playoff, and there might be a playoff place for Euro twenty twenty four on offer too. They will decide that format for format a little bit later on. You mentioned Stephen Kenny's contract there. He is up in front of the media tomorrow, so I think we might get a little bit of clarity about where things are at in terms of the negotiations and how he's feeling about it. So it'll be um, be worth keeping an eye on that for anyone who is interested in Stephen Kenny's contract situation, which seems to be going on and on and on and on, a little bit like COVID, as we know now at this stage. So there were supposed to be um, quite a lot of Premier League games over the uh, Christmas period, but we don't know now how many of them are going to go ahead so the latest casualties are uh, Leicester's game against Tottenham has been postponed that was supposed to be on this evening and a lot of people are now starting to come out and call for a little bit of a break a circuit break to try and get things under control Brentford manager Thomas Frank has called for the upcoming round of the Premier League fixture to be postponed so that clubs can deal with this outbreak uh, uh, Graham Potter of Brighton their game has been postponed as well at the weekend he said that he questioned how long football can continue on its path for and uh, we've heard as well about uh, Jurgen Klopp and his stance on vaccinations and where he thinks it's a massive issue within the Premier League that the unvaccinated players should get vaccinated that's a question of loyalty to the club and has also raised the question about whether or not he would sign a player 
there who is unvaccinated. So the next couple of weeks I'd say are going to get quite interesting in terms of clubs taking a stance because when games aren't on television and they're not being played then obviously that starts to cost people money and uh, then that really starts to become an issue. What's your thoughts Keith just on the the games being cancelled and just the, the stance that a lot of Premier League players are taking which is not getting vaccinated so I think it's around 68% now of players that are players in the Premier League are double jabbed which in fairness to them is probably around the same mark as most people their age in society. Yeah, look, it's a difficult one because we can only educate people. I myself, I'm double jabbed. It's just, it's an easy one for me. I have a, a father-in-law who's 83 at home. I have vulnerable people around me all the time. And it, it's not so much that I myself am personally scared, but I feel like I have a responsibility to the people around me. So that's personally why I got jabbed. We can only educate players and tell them the, the horrors of what, what can happen and the things of COVID, but we can't force them to do it, although... You know, this game's getting called off left, right and centre. It really is up to the Premier League whether they're going to enforce something in terms of vaccinations. I don't think they can. I think in terms of, you know, human rights and stuff like that, I don't think they can do it. Personally, you know, if footballers are going to continue to walk through uh, through these pandemics, they really do need to be vaccinated in my eyes because they're going to do so much mixing within the game. And when you're, you know, marking people from corners and the sweat, dripping off you and your close contact with people I think the best thing to be is just is vaccinated for me but like I say it's a, it's every individual's choice and we can't force anybody to do it yeah I, I agree with you and everyone is entitled to decide what they want to do um, but when there is no football I think that does maybe change a lot of perspectives yeah. we're not quite there yet um, but who knows what's going to happen over the next few weeks we do know we have football games tonight and they are going to be in full stadiums Liverpool and Newcastle and Chelsea against Everton uh, that one is kicking off at quarter eight Liverpool and Newcastle at eight o'clock let's start with Chelsea and Everton probably a good game for Chelsea given the fact that at this stage they probably will need to make a little bit of improvement especially when you consider that Manchester City are now four points clear the top and look like they are pretty invincible at the moment yeah they do and uh, Chelsea just looked to have come off the boil ever so slightly they, they've had a, a couple of injuries in some key areas in Golo Kante's but now Lukaku he's come back from injury and hasn't hit the ground running again so they still have them two boys to come back and I think they're a big part of what Chelsea will do but the Premier League this year is just so, so strong with Liverpool and Man City, obviously Chelsea with them. The fight for fourth is going to be brilliant as well and the relegation fight looks like it's set to go down to the wire as well. So when we when we turn the corner in January, things will really look to take shape. But I know Chelsea have just come off the boil, but it, it really is such an important time now over the Christmas period. It's the next six weeks or so will really t- uh, take shape your season with a couple of uh, Champions League games around the back end of uh, February as well. So it's going to be really tight, but Chelsea will be there or thereabouts. So I think Liverpool, it will defend. It will depend on how, how far everybody goes in the Champions League. I think if Liverpool go semis or final in the Champions League, I think their squad could be really, really stretched. I don't think the same could be said with Chelsea and Man City because they have such strength and depth in their squad. So it's going to be really, really tight. Uh, think the Champions League I think Covid could obviously play play a big part in it as well if certain players fall out of squads so it's going to be really tight at the top the bottom and in the middle as well when you're looking at the top six as well it's a really really strong Premier League but Chelsea and everything I think Chelsea will just get on the, just get back on the wagon tonight but everything will put up a fight Benitez just 
doesn't seem like he can uh, he can get a get it going at the minute. But you know, I think uh, I think the the blue side of Merseyside is they already had the knives out to be honest when uh, when a, when a red legend was coming in the door. So it never looked like a right fit to me, and it looks like just a matter of time before Benitez does go out the door. But I think he can hold his head high in terms of his career. But uh, everything it it for me it's just not the right click. Yeah. I- I would agree with you on that as well. I think it's just a matter of time, and the, when he starts losing those uh, those game those big games, especially they really really hurt Everton because they still feel like they are a big team, and uh, you'd imagine that the fans will probably be the ones that will start doing the talking. We also have Liverpool and Newcastle at eight o'clock, and you're talking about this being such a crucial period, and it does feel like with all the uncertainty, the big teams are going after as many points as they possibly can can get when they're available to them and this will be one that Liverpool will definitely want to get the three points in Yeah, you would expect Liverpool on paper to go and uh, just blow past Newcastle Newcastle, they've only won one game this year I've spoke all the time about the defence I think they're, they're back five, back four whatever, whatever Eddie Howe is going to go to it really looks like they're, uh, it's a championship back four, back five for me and they, they can't defend properly they have goals in the team so it's just a matter of can they keep other teams out I, obviously I don't think they'll keep Liverpool out but Liverpool losing to Liverpool for Newcastle is not a, it's not a game that will relegate you so whatever happens tonight for uh, for Newcastle you just need to brush themselves off and go again in the next game and they have a couple of tough fixtures over the next couple of weeks so it could be a bit, bit disparaging for Newcastle but listen they're in there with a fight I thought them Norwich I thought them two are gone to be honest but Norwich have a little bit of resurgence under Dean Smith and Newcastle got their first win it's sort of stop start stop start if they can just keep other teams out they'll have a fighting chance and like I say Burnley they never panic in these situations either so it's going to be a, a brilliant uh, brilliant relegation battle but like I say I expect Liverpool to get the job done easily tonight Yeah we'll be crossing over to Anfield a little bit later on with John Keith and just before we finish up with our football Keith Arsenal sitting pretty there in fourth place I think at the start of the season not too many people would have had much faith in Arteta getting his team back up at the table but he's managed to do it yeah, well, when you look at the the very first game of the season, Arsenal had uh, Brentford away, Brentford newly promoted, and you were thinking Arsenal may be getting a bit stronger to some of the young lads coming to the forefront, like Saka and Smith Rowe. But when we played Brentford, I know we had a couple of, uh, couple of COVID uh, cases and a couple of injuries, but it was the manner in which we lost to Brentford. Brentford just put the ball into our box and they bullied our two centre-halves, and they just roughed us up, and we got bullied by a newly promoted team, and... It's just one of the, you have to have a plan B. You have to be able to outwork and outfight teams before your talent can, tr- can uh, shine through. And for the first three games, that didn't happen to Arsenal. And I was I was making jokes that you know I think our Arteta will just keep us in the league and we'd be happy with that. But he's really seemed to catch a bit of form. I think uh, the way he's ha- he's handled Aubameyang over the last couple of weeks with with his discipline disciplinary issues has been brilliant. He's not took a lot of slack from him. He's he didn't. He, he, I think he went back to uh, to Germany for for a day and came back late. So he, he just took the captaincy up and said, listen, that's not something my captain can be doing. He, it's a very young squad at Arsenal, so they are looking up to the likes of Aubameyang and they need guidance from the senior players and Aubameyang wasn't giving it. So Arteta handled it really well and I like what he's doing and the young lads seem to be coming on leaps and bounds every time for him. Just looking at them last night, it, like they've always seemed to, to start pretty quickly, but they'd fade away a little bit then. Is it a case that their kind of, their pressing game is just starting to click now that they know exactly what they need to do for 90 minutes? You yeah, well, like it's it's tough. It's the same. United are in the same boat now. They have uh, Ranić coming in, and Ranić wants to have a pressing game. 
it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of hours on the training ground to do that. And with Arteta, with the amount of games you have in the Premier League, you don't really get a settled amount of time where you can say, right, like, I can really walk the lads' legs and train in this day because they've got a game in, you know, 24, 48 hours. So it can't really be walked that well. But Arteta, he's had a, a little bit longer with Arsenal and you can see that starting to come through. Ranić, I think he's had a bit of a bounce just because of his reputation coming into the building but the work that needs to be done in the training ground you need hours upon hours to do it to get the to get the press right we've seen Manchester City we've seen Klopp doing it with Liverpool it takes time but definitely definitely on the right track yeah and as you said that fight for a sp- fourth spot as well looks like it could be one of the more exciting parts of this Premier League season Keith thank you so much we are going to take a very quick break <laughs> With Green Farm. Fuel your day with Green Farm's high protein cooked chicken breast fillets. 100% natural and packed with flavour. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. It's time to talk rugby and focus on that breaking news that Leinster's Heineken Champions Cup match against Montpellier has been called off and the French side have been awarded a 28-0 win. Bernard Jackman is with me in studio. Bernard mentioned a little bit earlier that the EPCR have released a statement. We were expecting one from Leinster and now there's one in. Yeah, Leinster team management expressed a disappointment with EPCR over the decision to give Montpellier a 28-0 win. Uh, just a little bit of detail around what they've gone through. So Leinster rugby squad and staff have had five rounds of antigen tests and four rounds of PCR tests in the last six days and a group of players and staff who've all come through each stage of those tests have been selected to represent the club in France so um, they're actually you know they're arguing that they also got clearance from Leinster from the Public Health Ireland confirming that the group could travel to France at all times Leinster have compiled with all measures and protocols required by the club um, or of the club by the ERC and HSC and we'll continue to do so but they have said while we're disappointed with the outcome of today's uh, decision our focus now on the health and well-being of all our players and staff and we'd like to put on the record as a club our sincere thanks to Professor John Ryan and all the medical team supporting those players and staff so it doesn't seem as if they're going to bring a barrister um, and take case they're accepting it um, expressing disappointment and move on the only thing I didn't mention is if Leinster are to have an outbreak in round three or four and then have to give away uh, a zero point uh, 28 nil then they won't qualify if you know what I mean so it's very tricky now to manage this and hope look at this it's it's four weeks away uh, three or four weeks away but that's the worry for Lens now I think on the field they can get to the quarter final um but if they have they've no room for error or no room for not error but no room for any more covid Essentially, though, they feel that they could have went and yeah, they, they had enough. Well, we know that they have enough players in terms of depth there and they would be able to call. We saw what Munster did last week. It's mm-hmm. just that the risk assessment committee felt that they didn't want them to come in. Yeah, look at all. We, we're not privy to how many actual COVID cases they have, but obviously there's probably close contacts within it as well. Yeah. So I, I presume the EPCR felt that there was such a... Uh, an outbreak in the squad that potentially that was bringing danger to to Montpellier as well, or or the chance of of transmission on a field of play. So I, I look, I mean, we're not privy to the details. Just Leinster, the fact that Leinster have had you know four rounds of PCR tests and and the group and they named a team. Named a team. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is it is a bit strange when you see um, some of the decisions that have been made elsewhere. But look at. This, this might be one of many games this weekend to be pulled now when we wait for that decision from the French government. 
Yeah, it might be. It's uh, it's really turning into a mess. And you know, it's funny, it's turning into a mess nearly as every passing hour. They, it's evolving so much that it's really hard to almost keep up with everything that is happening. But as far as we know, there are going to be other games anyway. And one of them that, well, the first one that we're going to be uh, interested in really is Ulster and Northampton. So they will be hosting Northampton in um, Ulster will be and they will be hoping to keep their home record because it's been so good Bernard yeah the home record's been great and um, what a win away to Claremont last week that's given them a massive boost obviously Northampton um, were very very poor against against Rassi 92 and actually in fact weirdly rested a few players for a home game in the first round of Europe and um, got a got a right hammering by by Mike Prendergast Rassing so um, you, you know we would fancy Ulster in a big way I think Henderson's back in the squad um, and they will just go into this with massive confidence after you know putting in one of their best displays in a long time in Europe away to Claremont Munster is going to be one that a lot of people are going to be focused on because of everything that has happened in the last week with the news that Johan van Graan is going to be joining Bath. So now you have a team who are going to be playing under a coach who know that who they know is going to be departing at the end of the season. So that must be a very tricky situation for a squad to be in Bernard. Obviously they want to go and prepare as best they can and win games but with all that uncertainty you can't help but um, just make things a little bit difficult. Yeah absolutely a weird um, weird dynamic you know they'd gone and done something really special um, you know with a mismatch team to, to go to Watson and get the bonus point and then they come back and they should have been looking at a week with a little bit more uh, you know consistency and ease and some more senior players around uh, for a big home game in Europe, which you know Munster Munster thrive on, and and then they get the, the announcement that their their coach is leaving. Um, yeah, Munster, and fairness to Johan, he's the longest serving coach I think they've had in, in professional rugby. But it's this clause that the RFU have in, um, which the RFU put in to protect themselves. You know, it's a six month notice period, and uh, it works both ways. So um, effectively, Johan having a two year contract is really irrelevant. It gives him no security because the RFU can cancel it in six months. But now they've got caught um, because Johan was obviously, Munster wanted him to stay. He's decided to move on. Pat Lamb, you might remember, um, handed in his notice in, in Connacht and used that six-month break clause. So, you know, if the RFU only have to get, uh, sorry, the RFU only have to get four head coaches right Um and Leinster and, and and with Leo have have had some stability, and obviously Stewart um, is a very safe bet there. Uh, you know, if they can't get those four right, why do you need that? If you know, um, I would say get those four right and take out that clause because it doesn't do anyone any good. Um, in December, you know, in the week of uh, or in the middle of a European campaign, for your coach to leave. Yeah, because all now everyone's talking about is what happens next, yeah. like what's their next step. And also people are focusing on the fact that they haven't been able to retain coaches. So they've had that lack of consistency for the last number of years. And the question is really then, Bernard, who is next? Do you know who's a, who's, a, who's probably a good bet for his Declan Kidney? Um, in that... He knows Munster Rugby. Um, he's gone away to London Irish. I've been speaking to some Premiership coaches over the last couple of weeks. 
and they're all raving about the, the the impact he's had in London Irish in terms of you know the recruitment retention the culture there now the way they're playing now he's not on the field Les Kiss is on the field doing the um, the day to day coaching but Declan has has Munster rugby in his DNA don't forget he's the only man to have won two European Cups um, uh, in Munster he's won a Grand Slam he's been out of the picture a little bit went back went to UCC as director of sport but he got back into into rugby two and a half years ago with London Irish and you know, I think if you get Declan, he's the he's the head of the organisation, he's the front front of house, and then get in some talented coaches because obviously now with with, with the, the presumption is the defence coach is going to go, uh, JP Ferreira and and Johan are tied to the hip, uh, he'll leave with with uh, Johan. Obviously, Larkham is leaving, so effectively you can build a new coaching staff, and. You know the head coach. They, I can see that, right? Yeah. I can see Declan there overseeing the whole thing. Yeah. But what? Who goes under him? Like what caliber? Well, of look at. I think then you. I think. Well, obviously, I'm biased, but I would say Mike Prendergast is attack coach, um, and you know Declan now. I think the great thing for Declan as a candidate is, you know, he's not just. Irishified anymore he's been to England and his his network what he sees who he knows would have increased drastically whereas the problem is for, for guys who would just stay in Ireland you know you work with people you know all the time you recruit two or three foreign players um, a year and that's it you know you're not exposed to lots of different nationalities lots of different coaches like you are in, in, in the Premiership or in the Top 14 or in Japan um, it's just the nature of it so I, I think from that point of view Declan could, would be a great head of organisation and and then you go and get and he puts together a team of assistant coaches and he oversees it all or the other obvious the other candidate who's not um, Irish is, is Scott Robertson if you're talking about the best of the best mm-hmm. so he you know a lot of people in New Zealand felt at the time he should have been given the All Blacks job given how they did in November um, a lot of people feel that he still is the best man for the All Blacks job he's not going to stay as a Crusaders coach for forever Um there may be a window there, you know, two years out from a World Cup where, you know, a club like Munster, who are a big name in European rugby, uh, might be able to tempt him. Do you think now, though, that Munster need to go back to people with Munster in their DNA? They have tried players or coaches coming in from some of the really big clubs and from other countries and brought in that expertise. But unfortunately, for one reason or another, they haven't got the desired results and maybe is a time to go back to what they used to do before. I I, I do think there's a massive uh, case to be made for that. Um, the only reason Robertson um, uh, Robertson is very good at building himself into the fabric of the of the place he, he works. So I think he would uh, adapt and, and learn about what Munster rugby means. But uh, yeah, I think it's a shame. I think it's a big issue why Munster haven't haven't got the success is because they've forgotten what they were built on you know they were, they were built on an unbelievable amount of heritage uh, and it's a very unique culture you can't do the same things that you do in Leinster that you can do well you can do the same things but it won't have the same level of results Munster need to find um, their DNA again and actually ironically that win against Was um, may, I thought it was going to be the turning point because they had refound their connection with the clubs they found some young talent mm-hmm. that the first to Johan uh, sorry a criticism of Johan is how conservative he was um, like they have good young players but we never see them um, so maybe the, the next man in um, will be more ambitious or yeah or, or yeah uh, um, aggressive in terms of trying to fast track those young players we saw Hodnett and we've seen Hodnett lots and he's been injured 
a little bit lately but Hodnett if he was in Leinster would have played you know 30 games for Leinster by now um, so they were there and it took this bizarre scenario of you know of, of half the, or 14 players being locked in, in Cape Town and other players in isolation to see them but I think it could be the turning point but I do think Munster need to have a close connection um, with people from Munster. Yeah, and, and I guess another thing that has changed as well just over time is the fact that so many former players and coaches have now gone away and learned their trade. And you mentioned Mike Prendergast, who we, of course, all know and have mm. been following in France for the last number of years. So they are being educated and developing their own trades as well. So he now has people that he can pick from and bring back. So uh, definitely an interesting one. Anyway, you're the first one that I have heard to mention Declan Kidney, Bernard. So... Uh, yeah, maybe it'll be a case of heard it first from <laughs> Bernard Jackman. Right, we are going to move on now because we do still have an awful lot to get through. It's it's a busy show. There's a lot happening tonight. But I am delighted to be joined by Olympian Kira McGeehan. Kira is a Goal Mile Ambassador in an event which is proudly partnered by AIB for the first time this year. So you can complete the Goal Mile by registering registering on www.goalmile.org and taking just 2,000 steps in any place at any time during the month of December. Kira, how are you? Hi, Ari. I'm not too bad. Thank you. Good to hear from you. I'm delighted that it is just 2,000 steps. I can do that. I can definitely find time to get 2,000 steps in over Christmas, and I will. You certainly can, and everybody can, and you know, you can take your steps in any way you want. You can walk, jog, you can sprint it if you so wished. Um, and like the average Irish uh, Irish uh, person takes about 7,000 steps a day, so it's a nice way to get your step count up uh, on the Christmas period whenever we all may be inclined to overindulge. Yeah, well, that's for sure. I know what most people do, Kira, on Christmas. We kind of sit around, watch a bit of TV, eat a lot of food, don't do a huge amount, but we are not elite athletes or professional athletes, whereas you are. So what do you do around Christmas? Um, I certainly sit about and I certainly enjoy um, a selection box or two, but I'll be training as normal over the Christmas period, just in a different location. I'm going to be home in Port Ferry training. So, um, yeah, there's no rest for the wickets. I'm full, full training the whole time. I'll be clocking up 70, 75 miles each week over the Christmas period. And um, But I'll certainly be indulging in some of the, the other Christmas festivities. I'm looking forward to all food. <laughs> So Kerry, are you doing that because you're preparing for something or is that just the way you work things? You always maintain that level of consistency all year round. Yeah, um, for for many athletes um, and in particular athletes like me who are hoping to race the indoor season, um, the indoors comes around very quick. It's January, February, March period is indoors. So this is really me continuing my training with the aim to, to race the indoor season and then be fit and ready for the outdoor season so um, in many ways some people might liken this to in team sports whenever we do t- pre-season um, this is the time I get my, my depth of training in, I build a really strong foundation for hopefully a very fast summer season ahead um, so yeah I, I tend to have a break after the summer season and that's usually the only break I get so we don't get too much time off in athletics um, very much used to, to racing and training the whole way through Christmas You'd really want to love it, that's for sure. So the European Cross was only was it only last weekend. I've lost all track of time now at this stage. So you go from doing the the cross country then into the indoor season. Is it is it difficult to switch that, Kira? Like I know you've been doing um, cross since you're a junior and you're probably well used to it, but it just feels like they're very different. Oh, they definitely are. They're worlds apart, um, in particular between the cross-country and the indoors because suddenly you're on an indoor track and running 200-metre loops 
um, in comparison to being out on the cross-country course in the muck and gutters. Um, but yeah, I, it's something that I'm certainly used to and I thoroughly enjoy during the winter season getting out and racing the cross-country. But I'd say my forte is certainly on the track um, over the shorter distances. The, the toughest thing for me really is that I'm, I'm very much a middle-distance runner, 8 and 1,500 metres. And the cross-country, um, the distance that we usually race is 8K. So it's a big step up in distance for me. Fortunately, I raced the, the mixed relay um, this European cross. Mm. So that was a little bit closer to my usual usual distance. But yeah, it's very, very different. Pulls apart. Um, but it's nice that as an athlete, I get to do all of them. The mixed relay is great. And I, and I actually love watching mixed events. I just find the whole even tactical side of it fascinating. Is that something you'd welcome a little bit more of? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic addition to the European cross-country um, calendar and it's super fun and I think the crowd really enjoys it. Mm. You know, it it kind of drums up a, a little bit of excitement in the middle of, of a long cross-country day of racing and don't get me wrong, cross-country is exciting um, but this just adds a little bit of pace in the middle of it so it's something that I've enjoyed racing. It's certainly great fun and I hope they keep it in the calendar because it adds that's a little splash of spice into, into the longer distance races. A little bit of glamour. We like that, Kira, yeah. that's for sure. So it, it was brilliant to, to watch the Eurocross and obviously it's got um, fantastic praise in the aftermath because of, look, even just the execution of it, the fact that it all ran so well, the weather was lovely, the, the, whole, um, the whole event just went so smoothly. But the athletes as well, like Ireland represented really well, as they always do, but it seems a lot of the time um, it's our younger athletes that are kind of stepping up. But making that transition, Kira, from a junior athlete and, and a successful junior athlete to a senior athlete hasn't, hasn't been something that everybody has been able to do. How difficult is it, Kira? And like, what can our younger athletes and Athletics Ireland do to to make sure that that these young stars that we're seeing are able to transition? Yeah, it's it's certainly a tough a tough journey from being a good junior to being a, a good senior, and it's not something that happens easily. And if you look across the world over, um, a lot of the athletes you see competing as, as top juniors aren't necessarily the people that are earning those countries' medals and and positions at a senior level so it's certainly something in, within that transition that some people fall off some people maybe have reached their potential at underage and they and they don't have any more room to peak but certainly as a as a governing body Athletics Ireland um, they do a good job like I, I had a very tough transition to senior um, I was injured um, at the end of my junior career and I missed my whole under 23 career which meant that the step to senior was um, was kind of a big one for me. Suddenly I was back on the scene and trying to win medals and thankfully I got back and won my first senior medal in Amsterdam at the World Championships, in, uh, European Championships in 2016. Um, but it is tough and, you know, nobody's journey is the same. Every athlete is different, but it is something that our governing body is certainly they're trying to improve and they're trying to help. They've set up an athlete commission um, with us older athletes uh, taking on a role within that, um, they'll be they'll be allocating that athlete commission um, next year sometime, which is great to see that they're taking an incentive to really gain some knowledge and experience from the athletes that have done it, and anything that we can teach the younger athletes coming through. Because as you said, our underage athletes at the European Cross Country were really the stars of the show. Um, our junior teams did fantastic with our men's junior team medaling and then our men's under 23 team were just phenomenal with Dara winning an individual medal and then the boys getting gold and you know that's something really special seeing the tricolour rays and around the vein ringing through the speakers is something that we want to hear a lot more of so 
it is a tough transition going up through and I hope that we continue to really nourish and, and nurture our athletes up towards senior level because we have fantastic crop of athletes that we saw at the Eurocross. So that's our that's our middle distance and distance athletes. But we also have fantastic sprinters coming through. Um and hopefully we can continue having those athletes up to senior level. Yeah, for sure. And it's not a it's not an issue that is just um, centered on athletics. Every single sport finds it difficult to transition their junior athletes to senior athletes. I don't think anyone has managed to crack the best way to do it yet. But it's great to hear yeah. that Athletics Ireland and many other associations are working on it. So, Kira, twenty twenty two, we're almost there. What have, what have, what have you got in store for us? <laughs> Yes, it's a very a very busy 2022 um, lined up in the world of athletics. So we have a World Indoor Championship um, in March. That that'll be in Belgrade. So I'll be aiming to to race in that. And then next summer is probably one of the bus- busiest racing calendars that I've ever seen, um, with three major championships. So the World Championships are in Oregon. Um, and then being from the north I get to compete in the Commonwealth Games and run for Northern Ireland. So the Commonwealth Games are in Birmingham. And then we have a European Championship after all of that so three major championships in the space of six to eight weeks I'm pretty sure it is it's going to be a very busy calendar so there's going to be plenty of athletics for people to watch on the television Oh fantastic I am delighted to hear that I have to say and just in terms of um, just how what space you in in there Kira because I know that 2021 it wasn't the I suppose the year that you were hoping for or expecting a lot of ups and downs difficult things to, to deal with when you reflect on it all now how are you feeling? Yeah, I suppose looking back on the year, it was it was a, a, a tough one. It was a rocky one. Um, obviously, with the, the death of Jerry Kieran at the beginning of the year, um, Jerry was my previous coach and somebody that I held very, very dear. That, that was very tough and very hard. And uh, remembering Jerry is something that I certainly do every single day. Um, so that, that was rough. Um, and then I progressed on towards the, the, indoor, the outdoor season. And again, it was a rocky year. Was picking up an injury right right before the Olympic Games, which is very tough. Um, thankfully, I'm through that injury now, and I'm feeling fight and fit. And I'm really looking forward to having a much more successful and injury free 2022. Um, but it is important to reflect back. There was tough times in that year, but there was also good times. I've had some fantastic races. I'm really really happy to have a sub sub two minute 800 meters under my belt and a really good time over the 1000 meter set in the Irish record over the 1000. So there's some good things to take from the years that have passed. So uh, I'll I'll try to look at the positive and I'll learn from the tough times. Yeah, for sure. And look, 2022 is just around the corner and you've already got me a little bit excited about it, Kira McGeehan. So thank you for that. And if anybody wants to check out the Goal Mile, go to www.goalmile.org. Kira McGeehan, thank you so, so much. Now, we are almost out of time, but before we... So we are going to cross over to Anfield as promised. John Keith is there for us. John. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, this game is on, uh, thank goodness. And um, almost every game Liverpool play now, there's a club record at stake. Tonight, they could set a new one of scoring in 32 consecutive games in all competitions. That um, will beat the 1958 run of 31. They can also um, set a new top flight record of 33 wins in a calendar year set in 1982. Newcastle haven't won at Anfield this century. They arrived with the world. The, um, Premier League's worst away record if they win here tonight it'll be the shock of the season or a Liverpool win of course will put them within a point of leaders Manchester City whose next opponents are Newcastle it is as they say tough at the bottom John Keith at Anfield
John Keith, as always, thank you so much. That game kicks off at 8 o'clock. That is all we have time for on the show tonight. Bernard Jackman, thank you so much for joining us. I'll be back tomorrow to build up to the weekend's action. Hopefully we'll have some. Tara Kumar is up next. With Green Farm, have your dinner ready in a flash with Green Farm's high-protein cooked chicken breast fillet. Available in selected stores nationwide.